Our reading is Matthew chapter 2, chapter 2 of Matthew. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Thanks be to God. I wonder, uh, as you look back at Christmas, uh, how you feel about uh, the Christmas that you've had. Hopefully you've had a good Christmas. Uh, Mine was uh, particularly uh, kind of filled with a childlike sense of awe. I was uh, down with my cousins and their children yesterday, uh, young children, and that kind of wide-eyed excitement as each present was opened uh, and they realised that Santa had been visiting uh, during the night. So it was filled with a sense of awe. It was also filled with that kind of sense of following the Christmas ham. I'm not sure whether you have that. Uh, in our family, we normally have a particularly large joint of ham that kind of works its way around the various family supper tables. So you kind of follow it from house to house, kind of from supper to supper. Uh, Christmas is always a tale of following the ham, never knowingly underaccompanied by chutney. Uh, And uh, that seems to be really the the tale of our Christmas. It's all about uh, gifts. It's all about wide-eyed, opened excitement in a childlike way. It's all about following, if not the Christmas ham, then the Christmas star, which leads us rather neatly into the three wise men. We're going to meet three kings this evening. Uh, Not necessarily the three kings that we would be expecting. Certainly, the first one's 
are what we might expect. Three kings, often called wise men, probably more appropriately called wise men. The second set of kings that we're going to meet this evening are the wicked kings. We've got the wise kings, we've got the wicked kings, and then if you'll pardon the not quite alliteration, uh, we've got the wheel king at the end. So we've got, we, we've got the wise kings, the wicked kings, and the wheel king uh, at the end as we look forward to the new year. So we're going to meet the, the, the real king uh, last of all. Let's meet the wise kings first of all. Uh, and it's there in verses 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, During the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. Uh, Magi, it's it's our root uh, of the English word magician. We often call them kings uh, in kind of common parlance. They often wear crowns. It's unlikely that they would have done. Um, They were probably uh, astrologers. Uh, stargazers, uh, perhaps sorcerers, hence the idea of kind of magicians, diviners, appreciators of mystery. Uh, and uh, they, coming from the east, they may very well have come from Babylon. It may have been a, a long trek. Uh, there's some suggestion that they may have picked up the idea of this king of the Jews to be born from the prophet uh, Daniel and his kind of time of communication. If you, if you read through the prophet Daniel, then we encounter sorcerers and advisors to the kings of the courts of Babylon uh, who were skilled in looking at the stars and divining mysteries. It may have been from the Jewish exiles. They picked up the message of the one to be born, king of the Jews. Whatever they were, they were definitely seekers. And they were seekers who hadn't got all the answers they were looking for, but who were genuinely seeking. Seekers who wanted to become worshippers. And so I think the name wise is quite appropriate for these people. Seekers who wanted to become worshippers. And so I wonder in a very simple way whether these travellers have something to say to us as we enter the new year. I wonder when your last epiphany was, the last time you really felt as if you were genuinely seeking Jesus and really found something new, the the last time you were wide-eyed with excitement as to something perhaps fresh that you'd seen about Jesus, perhaps a reminder of something that you'd forgotten, but with that kind of childlike faith your eyes were wide opened and you had that moment of awe, that kind of wow moment. I wonder uh, the last time you travelled in spirit uh, to that manger side and knelt before the one king of the world. Uh, For 18 months now, it's been my privilege and pleasure really week by week to meet up with a second year undergraduate studying music. Uh, Clem has taught me I think probably more than anybody else about what that wide-eyed open excitement uh, means. His faith seems to come more and more alive week by week. It's almost as if it's kind of a young kind of plant shooting up very kind of biddable and trainable and teachable. I think Clem probably feels that he's learnt more from me as somebody who's travelled a little bit more in the journey of faith. I think probably 
I've learnt more from Clem. Definitely, if it's only one lesson that I've learnt from him, it's that real appreciation of seeking God, of dwelling with Jesus, and the radical change that's brought about in his life. Uh, If you ask Clem, actually, what would be his kind of go-to verse that he keeps coming back to in every conversation, it would be Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I ask of the Lord... This is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I think the first thing we can learn from the wise kings is to be seekers, to be desirers after a closer and closer relationship with Jesus, to keep finding Jesus day by day as we keep entering his presence. And as we enter a new year to keep coming back to the child in a manger. That's the wise kings. Uh, Let's now meet the wicked kings. Uh, And they're there in verses 3 to 8. My parents are, even as we speak, watching uh, some of those younger children in my family in a pantomime. They're down watching Sleeping Beauty in Woking at the moment. And there's something about the pantomime villain about Herod here. He understands the prophet's message all too well. Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience mainly. And so he's kind of teased us within the opening verses by using Jewish uh, friendly uh, terms, talking about the king of the Jews, talking about Bethlehem in Judea. And there we get in verses 6 uh, following, uh, we get the, uh, the quote from the prophet Micah. Uh, and we start to understand something of what shocked Herod. Uh, Herod is a liar and a fraud, a deeply wicked man, looking at his life and his biography, more than Matthew even fleshes out for us here. We realise just how bad he was. Uh, But we know by his own standards in in verse 8, it's a direct lie at the end. He's not interested with worshipping Jesus. He's definitely interested in killing him. There's something of that pantomime villain who sneaks up behind the children at the second half of chapter 2 and kind of goes off with his head, off with her head. There's something so wildly wicked about it, we think that it's got to be almost comedy, apart from we realise that it's not. The thing that's probably even more disturbing is that there are wicked kings here, certainly Herod was the puppet king of the Roman emperor. But if we look at verse 3, we realize that all Jerusalem was disturbed with him. It seems that all the people were disturbed with Herod. That would have included many of the so-called religious folk, the religious leaders at the time, the community's teachers, the teachers of the law, And so the religious leaders follow this wicked pantomime because actually they're just like him. If it wasn't quite so serious, it would almost be funny. These wicked folk want to rule themselves. They want to kill Jesus and kill the threat of his rule. 
we might actually ask ourselves whether those religious leaders and those teachers had ever had any faith at all. Some of them may never actually have had. Perhaps the surroundings of the religious town of Jerusalem, the religious city, have been enough to maintain the illusion, actually, that their community was seeking after faith, so they must have been as well. It may have disguised for them the reality that actually they were still selfish and wanted to rule themselves. Perhaps some of them in the past had really sought the promised king that Micah had foretold, but actually now that faith had been kind of like a young shoot at the start the stem of that faith has grown more woody and less biddable. And the faith that was a young shoot that had gradually turned to a woody stem, stiff and hard, is now actually dead inside. There's a story told of a royal naval captain... And every evening he uh, went up to his cabin, or after every watch he would go to his cabin and would be heard muttering. And the crew wondered what this salty sea dog of a sailor was muttering to himself, watch after watch. And so one of the braver uh, crewmen decided to go up and just kneel outside the cabin to see if he could listen in and see actually what the captain was was muttering to himself night after night, wanting to learn something perhaps from this guy who was such a brilliant commander of the vessel. And so one night he, he managed to find himself just outside the captain's window. It was propped ajar slightly and he could hear what the captain was saying. And the captain of this great warship was sat there night after night saying... Port left, starboard right. Port left, starboard right. I was told that story when I was at secondary school in year seven, and I haven't forgotten the message of the story, that actually however far we journey in life, however far we journey in faith, actually we need to keep coming back to the basics. We need to keep coming back to the heart, just like a child Uh, There's an older chap that I've known since I've been in Oxford. Clem's one of the younger people I know. Uh, There's an older chap that I know uh, since I've been in Oxford. And uh, this chap uh, has uh, been a real, um, in the same way as Clem, a kind of a real stimulus and encouragement to my faith, partly because he's quite majestic in years, which is a polite way of saying old. Um, He's quite majestic in years, um, but I don't think I've come across anybody who is quite so childlike in faith. Uh, With this chap, whenever I meet up with him and whenever we talk about faith, there's always that childlike, not childish, but childlike sense of wonder as to what he's learnt. He's constantly asking questions constantly wanting to learn, constantly wanting to press doors and push them open. And it's always a joy to talk together because there's always something fresh and new. There's always a kind of, Jesus is always at the centre and there's always something that's deeply refreshing. The more I travel on in faith, the more I need uh, him as a friend, the more I need that story to remind me to keep travelling back to Jesus in the manger. 
Uh, I think that's one of the great benefits of being a church community. We can share that, those moments of awe together. It's so easy for our hearts to grow hard and to grow unbiddable. It's great to share that childish or childlike joy together. So we've met the wise kings, we've met the wicked kings. Uh, Finally, Matthew introduces us to the wheel king. Uh, Singular this time, not plural. Uh, Our final traveller, the one who travelled from the very heights of heaven to be born in a stable and to receive the gifts, uh, well-known gifts to us, I'm sure. Verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw a child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented with him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. Remembering Matthew's Jewish audience, uh, we're probably aware that those gifts would have had tremendous significance. Gold for the one born king of kings. Incense born for a priest, a mediator, the one who stands in the gap between God and humans. Myrrh given to the one who is king of kings given to stand in the gap between a perfect God and a sinful humanity who is going to reconcile the two through his death. The whole of the gospel, in a sense, is there for us in those gifts. But gifts are quite strange, aren't they? I wonder how you would answer this question. Who does the gift tell you most about? Does it tell you most about the person you're giving it to, or does it tell you most about the person giving it? The wise king from the east who offers gold to the one he realizes is the real king. The wise diviner of mysteries from the east who realizes that his knowledge is nothing in comparison to the one who really has seen God because he is God and is now revealing him to us. The wise but finite man from the East who offers myrrh to the one he realises is infinite, but who has embraced the confines of a human body to come and die for us. I wonder, thinking back to your Christmas gifts, whether they said more about you as a giver or the person you were giving them to. Uh, The lawnmower that you may have given to your husband or wife, perhaps. I wonder whether that says more about what you feel they would like or more about your own desire for a tidy garden. Uh, Perhaps the box of chocolates uh, that you gave to a friend, really hoping that they might open them there and then because they just happen to be your favourite type of chocolate uh, as well. Perhaps the gift experience at the plush local hotel for two. Uh, All of those gifts, I wonder whether they tell you more about you or more about the person given to. And I wonder what we offer Jesus. I wonder what that says about us. I wonder what that says about how we view Jesus? Do we offer Jesus the golden crown of our lives and recognize him as our king? 
do we seek the answers to life's mysteries through our own understanding? Or do we submit our knowledge to his? Do we accept his death for us and offer him that life that we can't hold on to in exchange for what we can't lose? And so I guess that's really where this passage lands for us in that question for each of us. What do we offer Jesus this Christmas? His gift to us, God's gift, is there on display. How do we approach? Do we approach uh, with a life that is somewhat static, perhaps even scared of growth or challenge or change, maybe even defensive, perhaps even resistant to King Jesus, a life that may have been over a period of time growing slowly either further away or the kind of the biddable nature of our faith hardening somewhat? Or do we offer Jesus a life which seeks him, which longs for growth, which is wide open with joy and excitement on seeing him? which wants to grow, which wants to be biddable and trained by him, which wants to mature, but even as it matures, wants to keep going back to its roots, which has the sense of being forever young, made in the image of this one who is a child in a manger. The Three Kings, what we've got here is a story for children, certainly, It's a story for all of those who would seek the kingdom of God like a child. And it's a story that speaks to us today. Shall we pray as we close? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the message of the wise men. Thank you for uh, their seeking Thank you for their finding. Thank you for their worshipping. Thank you for their obeying humbly. And so we pray that you would help us to be wise rather than wicked. And that it would be for your glory as we give our lives back to you and allow you to transform them into something which is great for you. We pray this for your glory's sake. Amen.